This episode of the A-Game Podcast is brought to you by Nationwide Business Capital Group. If you need funding for your real estate deals, whether they are residential, commercial, lines of credit, refinance, if you are looking for fix and flip loans, if you're looking for perm loans, any type of financing you're looking for, regardless if you have a lot of experience, if you're new, if you have credit issues, down payment issues, if you need somebody creative to be on your side and to get your deals or your buyer's deals funded, go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links. You will see an affiliate link. Under the affiliates, you can see Get My Real Estate Deals Funded, and if you click on that, it will take you right to a page that will get Marianne from Nationwide Business Capital Group in touch with you. Tell her the A-Game podcast sent you over, and she will take care of you as a top priority. So no matter what the situation is, while everybody else is running away from lending, Nationwide Business Capital Group is getting deals done. NickNickNick.com slash links. Tell them the A-Game podcast sent you, and link up with Marianne today to get all of your real estate deals funded. Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands, people that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Jorge Abreu with Elevate Commercial Investment Group. He has right now a portfolio of about $155 million, 1,720 doors owned, 850 pending, and he also is in uh, Texas and Oklahoma, and he's here today to talk everything multifamily. Uh, he's got a crazy social media game. We'll put all the links and everything on there, but uh, I've, I've known you for a little while now. We, we've talked about stuff i've met you at some different um events man and i've just been watching you absolutely step up and crush it over the last six to 12 months man you've just been an absolute force to be reckoned with on the multi-family side and i'm really excited to talk to you so i'll let you do a, a quick intro on yourself I, i'd love to hear um just start out to a little bit about your background and what got you into real estate in the first place sure um first of all thanks nick for having me on the show man um appreciate it and uh as far as myself, you know, how I got into real estate, um, I think it, it started back when I was in university um, and I was studying to be an electrical engineer. At some point, I realized I didn't want to go down that path. Um, it's probably my sophomore, junior year. But uh, I knew I wanted to build a good amount of wealth, um, give my kids, at that time I didn't have any, my future kids um, you know, uh, the best life possible. So I started looking at other successful individuals and, and how they were able to build their wealth. And a lot of it came back to real estate. So at that point, you know, I really got passionate about real estate investing and I spent any spare time I had, uh, reading books and, uh, Google wasn't a big thing back then, and there wasn't as much content as you can find now. Um, so it was mainly reading books. And then uh, decided to get a, a coach and accelerate my my learning on how to invest, invest in real estate. And by that time, I had already graduated, and I was working at UPS in the engineering department. Um, 
but I was able to begin to do a consistent amount of, this was single family real estate back then. Um, this was about 13 years ago. And I did enough to where I, I quit my job, quit my W-2 and started doing real estate full time. And then about three and a half years ago, um, I kind of looked back at what I had built and, you know, I had also started a construction company to help scale the single family, which is pretty difficult. I know there are some, uh, single family operators that, that have been able to do it, but you know, I found it pretty difficult to get past maybe 50 homes a year. Um, and it was very transactional. So I was doing a lot of fix and flips. I wasn't holding that much. Um, so at that point I started looking more into multifamily. I had a couple clients on the construction company that were syndicators and they told me how they had raised the money. And, you know, before, before that, I thought you had to have millions of dollars to come in and, and buy these massive properties. Um, so that really opened my eyes and I started going and learning how to do multifamily. For those of you that don't know, I mean, it's a big difference from single family as far as the underwriting and just the due diligence you've got to do to acquire one of these properties. Um, and then that was, so about three years ago, I decided to just do nothing but multifamily. I stopped doing the single family, kept the construction company because that was, uh, made sense to keep the construction in-house, even on the multifamily. Um, and that's where, that's where I'm at now. That's outstanding. Um, one of the questions I had for you was, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about two things, balance and focus. And I definitely want to talk to you about both. But as far as the focus part of it, I know some of the masterminds, a lot of the same people, you know, when we get together and we start to talk, one of the biggest things that the people that are in the room in similar positions as us say they want to get out of it is the ability to figure out what to focus on. Because we have a lot of shiny object syndrome of, you know, I want to build up my construction. I want to do single family. I want to do residential. I want to do click funnels. You know, and you wind up going on all these different things. And you realize that to really be a black belt in any of those things, it takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of attention. And what I found when I, when I went into multi-units was focusing on each specific property was way more important than ever because the stakes are so much higher. And the mistakes you might be able to get away with family side are exponentially more expensive and more serious on the multifamily side. And all of a sudden I take my attention off and then one month I'm writing checks for 20, 30, 40 grand. And I'm like, how is that just going out the door? So I learned to start to really see the importance of focusing. I give the example a lot of um, when I used to do MMA, you're training for everything. And I wasn't really outstanding in anything. And then I, I started focusing more on my real estate after I did the golden gloves. And then was like, I'm, going to do jujitsu. And then my jujitsu got a lot better and I got a black belt. So for you, how did you make the decision to focus only on multi-units? And was that something that you had a discussion with? Or was it one of those things that you just had one of those crazy days and said, that's it, this is just what I'm going to do and how I'm going to focus. So how did you pick multi-family to focus on? And was that a hard transition from single family and trying to manage everything else? Yeah, dude, that's a, a great question. Um, and you just got me thinking about it. And I think what happened is because in the beginning I tried doing both, right. Or all three, if you want to say the construction company, the, the single family investments and the multifamily. And I wasn't doing either. I wasn't doing amazing in either one. You know, I was doing okay throughout the, the three. 
Um, and then I started to, I read the book traction and I started to implement the EOS system. Um, and in, in one of those sessions, um, you know, it talks about focus and it just opened my eyes that, you know, to get this done right, I, I've got to focus. Uh, and that since that day forward, I started trickling everything down in the single family. And I, and I knew I just, I wanted to build on the multifamily. I had seen enough and done enough that I knew I liked that sector better. Um, and I could really see me growing there. So that's what kind of uh, got me there, you know, and realized that, like you said, it, it's, it's all about the focus and there's so many, I mean, every day I've got shiny objects coming up and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, that there's look running a bunch of businesses. It's people do it and, and you can do it, but I think you need to master one and then move on to the next um, and make sure that you've implemented the systems in that one that you mastered so that it continues to, to grow if that's what you wanted to do. And then sure, you can start another one and, and do the same and keep it going. I think that's a fantastic answer. I know you're also big on, on reading books. I saw a, some of the posts that you do, you're always, I, I grabbed a couple of the ones that you posted out there even today. I thought that that was great. What are um, attractions of book if people haven't read it? It really is a game changer as far as putting systems in place to really For track sure. progress and KPI because the data is really what tells you the whole, the whole tale. Um, what are some of your favorite books on real estate? I know you've got a lot you've, you've posted on anybody else see on his social media. I love what you're doing with your nephew. I think that that's outstanding. What you <laughs> yeah. put up there. He's but, sitting next yeah. to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Yeah. He's going to, he's like you said, he, he might not be happy with you for the next six to 12 months, but over a lifetime, he's going to yep. be very, very happy for what you showed him. But what are some of the books you can recommend that, that really help? on track and start to help with that focus because I'm finding books really don't necessarily help me with the tactical stuff for taking down deals in the real estate, but for the business stuff and the mindset stuff and the focus side of it, they, yeah. they help me out huge. No, I, I agree, man. Um, well, like you said, so there's not really a specific, you know, if you want to get specific to multifamily, it's probably, I think Joe Fairless's uh, best ever book is probably the, the best one for multifamily. Um, I know Dave Lindahl's is pretty good too, but as far as building systems or focus, I mean, there, there's just so many, man. I can, um, you know, you mentioned traction, which is great. And then there's a couple other from the same author, um, that kind of explain it a little bit better. And then, so all of those, I, I agree. I think it's a, uh, what the heck is EOS and uh, rocket fuel are the other two. Um, and then just mindset stuff and focus. Uh, man, I don't know if there's, can't really think of one that, that really goes in deep into, into focusing and, and how to, um, and how you can grow something that way, or it's just not coming to mind right now. But, um, uh, you know, I read, I read a lot about habits. So the, the power of habit is, is a good one. Um, and I think once you realize your, your life is pretty much your habits, you know, that's your entire life is you making a bunch of decisions, which are your habits. Um, and if you become aware and you can replace your bad habits with your good ones, 
I mean, that's, that's the difference between a successful individual and just average. I love that answer. I tell people till I'm blue in the face, decisions are the reason you are where you are today, whether you're in the right place you want to be or the wrong place. And if you want to keep doing the same thing and think you're going to wind up in a different spot, it's literally a definition of insanity. So there's a recipe. And if you don't change the recipe, you're not going to change the outcome. And people want to continue to do what they've always done and then own 1,700 plus doors. And they don't understand that you can't just keep doing those things and do what's comfortable and expect there to be a change. It's, it's not magic. So you being somebody that's this time in, you're putting all this content in, you have a family, you're now training your nephew. What are some routines and some habits you put in place to even find time to read? Because I hear it's the number one thing. Hey, do you read? Oh, I don't have time to read. Say, man, everybody's got the same 24 hours in a day. You know, same thing with jujitsu when people would go, oh man, I, I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go to jujitsu. And I go, yeah, I don't either. But how right. am I else, how am I still going to get it in? Like you make the time for that. And I saw you did a really cool post, uh, maybe within a week, the last week or so about some of the things that you're making to pick up a book and read versus watch Netflix and you're feeding your mind versus doing some of the other things that people are just wasting away during yeah. this quarantine. And it looks like you're going to come out of it better than ever when you went in. Yeah. I mean, that's, you, you kind of said it there towards the end, you know, I, I, I don't waste any time. If, um, when I'm working out in the morning, I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook. If I'm driving somewhere, it's an audiobook. It's not music. You know, what, what does music do for you? You know, other than maybe make you feel good, I guess. But, um, so that's how I fit in my books really is, is through audiobooks. I do a lot of audiobooks. I still like physically reading a book as well. Um, and I try to do those instead of watching Netflix at night, you know, I've got the book on my nightstand and I, and I make sure I read a certain amount of pages. Um, and then people always say, you know, I don't have time. Like you said, well, it's not, you don't have a time issue. You have a time management issue. You know, everybody's got the same amount of time, but it's how do you manage that time? And once you figure that out, you know, we, I do a lot of, uh, I think blocking, you know, if you get certain goals you want to hit and then you just make sure you block that certain amount of time to reach those goals and work on that goal. Um, and don't let the day come at you and just take over. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. And being an engineer, I'm sure you thrive with systems and things like that. So that I, I love that type of brain. I, I tell everybody like engineers, military guys and athletes, when they go into entrepreneurial stuff, they excel because they have so much discipline and they're able to follow those regimens and just look at and get the outcome. So I, I think that's great stuff, man. Um, now, as far as when you got started, were you, were you married when you first made the transition out of the workforce into full-time investing? We were not married. We were actually uh, business partners back then. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I'm always interested because I've come across people that wind up working together and I definitely want to hear about how you guys have won wind up combining, combining forces and really conquering things together. But there also is a lot of people out there that when somebody says, Hey, I want to get into real estate, they say, no, nope, you're crazy. If you do that, like I'm leaving you or I'm going to quit my job. They go, now you've really lost it. You're freaking crazy. I'm going to have you committed. <laughs> so what was that like when you started making the transition? Did you have a lot of the support of the people in your life when you got into real estate? And did you have the support of the people in your life when you decided to leave the workforce and go in full time? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as far as my wife, she was, um, my girlfriend back then, 
and we kind of she went on this roller coaster with me so that that made it easy on that end and and pretty exciting um she was scared of me quitting my job I, I was the one that decided to to quit first and she she was still working at a real estate title company back then um and once i took that leap she made the leap shortly after um as far as family um you know they thought i was nuts they, <laughs> they you know they thought i was crazy it's it's funny uh my mother was more worried about my insurance um <laughs> than anything else. And, you know, I'm here showing her that I'm, you know, I just made $30,000 in, in a, in a, in a few hours compared to what I'm making on my W2. I think I'll be okay if I have more time to spend on, <laughs> you know, what's making me the $30,000 in, in a couple of hours. Um, she couldn't grasp that, but, uh, yeah. And then when I left my hometown, um, you know, I'm originally from South Florida, when the market crashed, South Florida was pretty untouchable for a while. You know, the prices just kept going down and down and down. And um, I decided to move to Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And then everybody thought I was crazy when I did that too, <laughs> but it turned out to be all right. That's awesome. Now with, um, with your construction background, one of the things that people worry about a lot and I know you do things remotely as well, but the construction side is really what scares a lot of people. Even guys that I know that are contractors, they have a really hard time managing contractors. And those constructions on the single family homes, people lose their butt because they can't manage the budgets or the timelines on the rehabs. When you're talking about a 50, 70, 100, 1,720 units, that obviously gets ex exponentially bigger. And that's it's one of the things I try and tell people is when they're going from single family into multifamily, if you're going to buy a 10 unit building, you can't think of it as I just bought a 10 unit building. You have to literally look at it and say, I just bought 10 houses on the same day at the same time and put that attention to each one of those units because your $20,000 problem you had on a single family home on a 10 unit could be a $200,000 problem because it's times 10. Has your construction experience helped you with managing contractors and what's some advice or things that you do to, to manage because on that level, how are you keeping track of everything that's going on? I mean, that, that, that's a lot of units and a lot of GCs or subs to pay attention to and keep in check. Yeah. Um, no, you're absolutely right, man. I mean, you're adding a lot of zeros at the end of the numbers when you're dealing with multifamily versus single family. Um, you know, we, I use my own construction company to be G the GC on these projects. Um, the reason I do that is because I've, I've built systems within my general contracting company that help manage the project and the subcontractors or whoever's working on, on the projects. Um, I also spend a, a lot of time on the front end. I talk about this a lot during due diligence and before even closing on the acquisition, you know, past the due diligence, the due diligence, just gearing up to do the construction and a lot more than I do in single family or used to in single family. So that helps um, mitigate any of those errors or costly mistakes, you know, just making sure you've turned over every single rock and you know, um, you know, from all our projects, I've never gone over budget on multifamily. I've, I've maybe had to go into our contingency a little bit on some items that, um, 
that we had maybe seen it coming, but it ended up being a little bit more. Um, plumbing is one that's that's gotten me before. Um, still set a good amount aside, and it still ended up being a little bit more than than I thought. Um, but yeah, just preparing. That's awesome, man. And plumbing is is something I see probably more than anything when I see guys posting stuff on social media about deals going south. It all it almost always becomes that, and that's one of the um, I think you you know my buddy Shane Shane Carter, right? New Hampshire yep. guy. He was just yep. doing this stuff. And freaking great guy, man. He's awesome. Yep. But I know he was just telling me that he had to bail on one of those because of the plumbing issue. It wound up being almost a million dollars over what they oh, initially wow. thought. And that's, I mean, I see those numbers come in big, but you know, that's another thing I want to talk to you about is the patience of not getting an emotional response and trying to jump into bad deals to make yourself good because something like that, I mean, a seller comes back and you're a million dollars off. And I mean, it was like a 24 or $25 million purchase. I think they were doing some creative financing, but so it was obviously relative to the size of the deal, but right. the seller wouldn't retrade with him. He wouldn't give him a discount. And the way we looked at it was, Hey, that's a fact. Now that part of the numbers, it's part of the diligence that seller can pretend that that's not happening, but it's going to keep coming up now every time somebody goes to buy it. So when they come to their senses, Hopefully they'll call him back and say, look, you know, I, I don't know who I was kidding. It's been three more months now of my pocket, just bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. Take this freaking thing off my hands just for whatever price. And that's where the, the deals tend to come back to is with the patience. And a lot of people go, ah, oh, there's no deals out there. I can't find any good deals. And you're literally, you know, coming in on over 2000 of them. So what are you finding? How many, how many deals do you have to look at or go through or offer on to get your ones accepted? And, and how often are you finding these things that are popping up and killing the deals according, causing it to trade. I mean, man, we, we look at a, a ton of deals. Um, uh, you know, maybe probably look at a hundred just to find one that looks good or might, might be a deal. <laughs> um, and then from there, I mean, we got to look at another, I don't know, maybe another 20 after that. And then maybe find one that, uh, is worth getting under contract. And then we've, we've had to walk on some that we've had under contract for, for reasons, um, that things that we pick up during due diligence. And like you said, you know, if the seller's not willing to accept it and, um, lower, lower the price, then yeah, we're going to walk. We're not going to force it. Um, you know, there's too much writing on making the, the deal go the way it's supposed to and executing the business plan. Um, so, yeah, and, I, and I've seen that, you know, I've seen some other investors force a deal and um, it's just not the right thing to do. Um, yeah, and I, and I forgot what the other question was, sorry. Or just how, how to, yeah. yeah, from all the deals. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, especially now with COVID. Um, pretty much, you, it comes, at least for us, it comes down to finding a seller that, that wants to sell and that's motivated to sell kind of like single family, you know, same, same concept. And then once you have that, you should be able to kind of work through those things if they're motivated enough. Are you finding that there's more motivation now because of COVID? Because I did see there was a lot of no's because everybody's phones are ringing and people were putting it off thing and then COVID hit and it turned into a 30 day thing and then a five day thing. And all of a sudden people started freaking out and looking to liquidate their cash. And you know, that's, that's another thing is when people aren't paying rent, 
if the owner of that building didn't manage it properly or didn't good tenants in there or take his time screening them and a number of them stop paying, they might not have the reserves to take care of that mortgage if they didn't buy it right. And I think a lot of people over the last few years when they started getting into multifamily forced deals that they really shouldn't have. And I think they're feeling the effects of that now, which in turn, I think can create a great opportunity for guys like you and I to come in and get deals that maybe the seller wasn't as motivated two, three, four months ago, and maybe do some things like seller financing or you know, assuming uh, uh, assumable mortgages and things along those lines. Yeah, man, I think those, those deals are coming. I haven't seen that many of those because it's going to take a little time to develop. Um, you know, I have seen others that were pretty much the ones that were in trouble already or leading towards trouble before COVID even hit. Um, those have definitely become more, more motivated. Um, you know, one issue I, I find is there's probably not going to be a lot of equity in some of these deals just because they were very leveraged and then um, probably bought at a high price too. So, you know, that, that that's going to be interesting, but um, I do see some opportunities coming soon for sure. That's awesome. So now I know you live in, in Dallas, but all your deals are not in Dallas. You're doing deals in Oklahoma. You're doing deals in Texas. Um, what were some of the things that you were looking at when you decided to pick the markets that you went into? Yeah. So we were underwriting like crazy here in, in, in Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth. And I mean, the prices were just absurd. Um, and it was very hard to make the, the numbers pencil. Uh, so that's when we started looking to sub markets and just, um, you know, maybe markets that were not so hot just yet. Um, one of the things that as far as our criteria, you know, we like to see at least a hundred thousand in population, um, population growth for the past two or three years. Um, you know, what, what the economic drivers are in that city. We want to know what that is and make sure it's not all counting on just one, you know, if it's, um, just one sector, you know, that it's, that it's, uh, got several that can hold, um, those are the most important ones. And then there, there's other things we look at, but. Sure. And, and you're looking at tertiary markets too, outside of major cities as well, right? We are. Yeah. See, I, I like those. I know, um, you bought a, a property, I think only a few blocks away from the one that I had uh, sold off a few months back. And that was an interesting one to me because I know that that was a market that I saw start to grow and it didn't have a lot of attention when I first bought that property. And then I saw Dallas and I saw Tulsa starting to get beat up and then people were having cap rate compressions and they couldn't get deals. And they all started branching out more and more. And all of a sudden, my phone started ringing a lot with investors from those areas and contractors from those areas that were looking for work and they were totally cool driving an hour, hour and a half into that city to do that. So I thought it was interesting watching it grow, but I also watched it literally maybe three or four months after I sold it. Some guys that I know started sending me info, seeing if I was interested in lending or partnering on deals that were almost the exact same property blocks away. From there. And when I was looking at their numbers that they were basing their performance on, they're not going to get that. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I, 
I literally just sold it. You're not going to get that rent for that building. And I'm seeing a lot more of that stuff start to happen. So you coming in and, and doing your due diligence properly and using that analytical engineer brain, I think that that is probably one of the most important characteristics for a commercial investor is I tell them, I want people that are not emotional. I want human calculators for that exact reason because everybody else was going, man, I saw George and he's buying in this area. I'm going to go buy something too, but they're not buying it right. They're not picking the right deals. Are you seeing people come in and, and making bad plays and outbidding you for properties in some of these markets now? Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that one specifically. I mean, uh, you know, you, you definitely, you bought there before we did, but I feel like, yeah, as soon as we closed on that one, which we got an, at an amazing basis going in, um, and it's one of the reasons, one of the only reasons we bought it is because the price we got it at. And also, you know, that market is not one that's showing a crazy amount of population growth. We just felt like it was very stable and uh, the price we were going in at, we could, the location, the exact location within that city, you know where it is. I mean, I, I think it's very central um, on the, the main street. But yeah, as soon as we closed on it, I mean, maybe a, couple weeks or a month later, all these properties, I want to say it was maybe like 10 properties popped up. Um, and they were asking a lot more than what we paid for. <laughs> and it just did not make sense. And people kept calling me because they knew I had uh, closed on there. And I was just like, look, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with what I got with what I got there. Um, and the property's actually doing great. But yeah, it's funny, man. Uh, I have seen people buy off emotions. I mean, you got to look at the numbers. That's, that's all that matters in this is the numbers. 100% agree. What's some of your, your stuff that you're looking at now as far as a uh, multifamily? I know that there's different models as far as some people are buying stabilized assets and they're just doing syndications. Some people are doing value adds and then they're refinancing out, they're selling. I know other guys that are just wholesaling. Um, what is your specific model that you're focusing on for your multifamily stuff? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're sticking with the the true value add, um, you know, we, we don't want to just uh, hold and, and take the appreciation. Um, we we want to build that value from, from day one, um, but not, you know, the word value add has gotten, <laughs> it's lost it's, like its meaning. Flip, right? and, yeah. yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, we, my, our properties are not adding a fence as a value add. You know, I've seen that, you know, add a backyard to the unit and um, that's your value add. No, I mean, we're properties that have high vacancy or really poor management or, you know, where it's a clear path to add that value um, is what we look for. Okay. That's awesome. And then is your exit strategy to, to refinance out? Um, yeah, usually refi and, and, you know, hold for five years. We have been starting to look at, um, possibly refine to HUD, which would be a longer hold period. Um, and really just depends on, on where the market's at, as far as how long we're going to hold it. You know, we're going to try to exit on whatever's best as far as returns for our investors and, uh, whatever makes the most sense. That's great. And I absolutely love that strategy. I think that when people look at different real estate classes and they ask what they should be doing, you 
half the people that go, I want to sell it and make money. And the other people go, no, I want to hold it for long-term cash flow." And what you're doing is literally both. So yeah. for people who don't follow that, it, it's similar to finding a distressed home, but you're finding a distressed building, which could mean multiple different things, you know, bad management, physically or economically uh, depressed or distressed. And then you come in and you get it what's called stabilized. So now it's at a minimum from what I'm seeing of 90% for a minimum of 90 days, the longer you hold it and you can show that seasoning and that's the, the higher the lender will go to pull it out. So you can literally get all of your money back that was put in or raised for that property. And then you can pull out extra profit on that tax-free. Yep. You still have the asset. You still have all the write-offs. You still have the cash flow. So you're literally getting both. And now you can start to scale up from there. So it's, it's literally having your cake and eating it too when it's done the right way. So I, I think that's great, man. So th those, those doors are just going to start to pile up. And I'm sure looking at what that's going to turn into when you start to stabilize over 2,000 doors and pull that cash out tax-free, your mom's probably not going to be that upset about the insurance not being able to get paid <laughs> off at that time. I'm sure, yeah, think, I'm sure your family probably knows what you're doing right now and sees you're successful, right? Yeah, no, they, they, they thought it was a good move now, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, being somebody that's invested for you see, over 15 years now, I, I see a lot of people that get in now, but they haven't invested before the crash. And I learned a lot of very valuable lessons when the market turned last time. What are some of the things you're doing to limit your risk just in case that happens again? Or, you know, like I said, a lot of people couldn't handle this little lockdown during COVID. Um, what are some things you're doing to protect yourself that you've learned from being an investor prior to 2008 and after 2008? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, when we purchase a property, we always have that in the back of our minds. I mean, we, we go the extra mile on the due diligence just because we know if, you know, there was, whether COVID happened or not, the market was going to turn. I mean, and, and some people just get blinded to that. I mean, it happened to a, a lot of people back in 2006, 2007, whenever it was, um, and I mean, I saw it happening here too, you know, it's to think that the market's going to continue to climb and climb like it was um, without a pullback. I mean, it just, history shows that that's not correct. Um, now, what happened back in 2008, um, you know, that was extreme and definitely would, I was not expecting something like that, but I still being very careful on the, on the due diligence and not wanting to overpay, you know, one of the reasons I, I have not invested too much in Dallas is just because I felt like I was possibly going to be overpaying and I, and I didn't want to get stuck with something uh, worth or worth less than what I had paid. Um, and, you know, D Dallas is a little different just because the economy is so strong. So, I mean, I, I, I could be wrong on that, but you know, that's what I've learned. And the other thing is, is, is being ready for these opportunities and making sure that you've got um, either your investors are prepped for it. You're prepped for, to have some cash to bring in and, and take, take advantage of these opportunities. Um, so those are the, the two things I learned is to be prepared to snatch as many properties as you can when that, when that opportunity comes and then to make sure and do your due diligence and be, extra careful when you're, when you're purchasing the properties. I think that's great advice. And I a hundred percent agree that a lot of the guys that I know that bought prior to that crash, when they bought it the right way for cash flow, 
even though their value might have gone down a little bit, that cash flow from those assets carried them through. So yeah. your bills are paid, your expenses are paid. Point, for sure. It's a really, really good cushion to start to build that up. And, you know, again, you're doing it on such a high level here. But like you said, you have to look at sometimes a hundred of them to get the one deal. And obviously on the single family side, it got competitive too, but sometimes people might not think it's worth it anymore to go through 30, 40, 50 deals to make 30, 40, 50 grand on a single family home. You don't need 200 buildings every year to really change your financial picture. So, right. I mean, obviously you, you've taken this to an extreme, you're doing amazing with it, but how do you keep yourself positive and enthusiastic while you're going through these, if you're getting 20, 30, 40, 50 offers rejected or people or deals aren't turning out, how do you keep yourself positive? How do you keep yourself hungry? And you just got to know it, it's part of the, it's part of the game. You know, you, you're going to get those no's. You're going to, um, every deal that doesn't work out is getting you, it's one deal closer to the one that is. So, you know, as long as you have that mindset and then, you know, you can always adjust, you know, we've made our adjustments to, um, instead of looking at every single deal and going deep on every single one, you know, we've got our high level underwriting, simple numbers that we look at and eliminate the deal before we even go in deep on it. Um, that saves us a lot of time and lets us focus on the ones that, that should make sense. Um, so yeah, you know, adjusting and, and just making sure you have the right mindset, you know, you're going to get those no's, you're going to get those properties that don't work out, but um, that just means you're getting one step closer. Exactly. I love it. You got to kiss a lot of frogs and every no mm -hmm. is one step closer to a yes. How are you, um, w what point, I mean, when you have that much going on and you're in such a good position, what keeps you driving to get more and do more? Because a lot of people get complacent and they get lazy and I'm saying you do the exact opposite, man. Your foot is on the gas. You're pushing forward ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, there's, I think it has a lot to do, has everything to do with the mindset. You know, um, I don't let myself get comfortable whenever I, I feel like I may be getting comfortable. I jump out of it right away. Um, so li live in the uncomfortable. That's kind of, you know, something I, I always say, if, if you're not putting yourself in a position where you're uncomfortable every day, then, then you're not growing. Um, and then I've got my why, you know, I always go back to my why and, and, um, that continues to push me and, and, and do more. You know, people roll their eyes at that sometimes when I tell them that and they ask about how do you stay hungry? How do you push? And when they quit, it's because their why isn't big enough. And they're like, oh, yeah, one of those books. I'm like, no, man, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day is every, um, you know, I, I remember there was a, a story of one of the guys, it might've been Matt Sarah was telling me about jujitsu. And they were like, yeah, there's two guys that are grappling. They're both on the ground. One of them gets out of a position. One of them doesn't. What did they do? What, what was that thing? And everybody had a thousand different answers. They go, nope, the guy who won that match just wanted it more. And that's the that. same thing I look at is, yeah. you know, everybody's got the same thing. It's, it's who really wants it that bad at the end of the day, who's really going to push. And that why means everything. So, I mean, for you, what are some things that you're, you're doing? Because it can't be work all day, every day, like the amount of business you're doing, the content you're putting out, that stuff all takes time. And I imagine at some point you burn yourself out or you don't find the balance to be able to, to do things that you really like and take care of your family and enjoy yourself a little bit. So what are some things you do to unplug and to find balance to make sure you're giving the proper time to your health and your family and your hobbies 
and not just burning yourself out working all day every day? Uh, man, I, I will tell you that that's something I, I definitely need to work on. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I uh, hobby-wise, um, actually just put it in, in one of my goals. I need to start, you know, I love playing basketball. I can't remember the last time I actually played a basketball game. Um, and actually martial arts, man, I, I used to love that. And I've been dying to get back into it. So I don't know, maybe I need to hit you up on that and see. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. You, my friend actually is, um, it, it might be on hold right now because of what's happening, but he's opening up a jiu-jitsu school in Dallas and he's a high level black belt and he's freaking awesome dude. I just put a podcast oh. with him. So Ruben Rivera, man, I'll definitely can look you up with some guys over there in Texas. And man, I, I love that. I, I've said it a thousand times, but some of the days that I'm really struggling to solve a problem or to get motivated or to figure something out, or I'm just negative or down, and I just drag my butt down to jujitsu. When I get out of there, man, it's just have a, a fresh start. You're seeing things in a right. different way. You know, whatever the outlet is. Some guys I know it's surfing, but man, I, I found the real estate guys just being able to kind of just go on the mats and just get an hour out and then come back. It it just helps with everything all around. So I think that's really cool, man. And that's, that's a big thing. I think it's the biggest thing that I find when I talk to entrepreneurs is really that balance. I think being an entrepreneur tends to be an A-type personality and you tend to be even more so. So not yeah. working all day and finding that it's, it's just a constant struggle. Not found the perfect formula yet, but I'm, no, I'm definitely. I mean, I work, so I work out in the mornings, that's for sure. If I don't, um, if I don't get that in in the morning, it, it, I don't do as good. <laughs> Let's say that. Um, that's kind of my, my break and, um, the way I get the day started. Um, but I definitely need to get some, some hobbies in there and then, you know, family time I do, uh, Sunday is pretty much hundred percent dedicated to, to family time. And then Saturdays I may work a little bit, but usually <laughs> it's, it's family time. That's cool. And now, so it looks like you're, you're involving your family in some of the stuff you're doing, which I think is really cool. So um, talk a little bit about your post that you made. I think it was today or yesterday, but the post about um, bringing your nephew on as a protege. Um, talk a little bit about that and what you're doing there. I think that that's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, he just graduated uh, high school and he's not quite sure what he wants to do, which, you know, I think that's a lot of 18 year olds. Um, yeah aren't quite sure what to do from there. And so what I'm trying to do is put everything together from everything I've learned till this point um, and the things that have helped me make the decisions I've made and to be successful to this point um, and kind of squeeze that all into a program where whether they want to do real estate investing or construction or something else, they can take these other skills that um, I'm teaching, you know, just how to be organized, how to schedule your day, how to start the day off right, um, how to be efficient, you know, those things and take it to whatever they're passionate about, you know, put those skills and then what you're passionate about together and you should be successful. Could not agree more, man. I, th I think that that's great. And Again, I, I wish there was people in my life that could have done that for me back when. And me too, man. I had a, a <laughs> but... Yeah, you're, you're doing it. And is, is your wife still working with you on the real estate side? Not so much. So um, as of late last year, uh, you know, we've got three little girls. They're seven, five, and four. And she right, really so. wanted to spend more time with them. Um, 
so as of late last year not really but she's um you know she's starting to get a little bored um <laughs> and it looks like she's uh she might be doing something something else on the side cool cool and i know she i see her post a lot of stuff she's big into health and keto and things so it's yeah. cool that you guys both have that same passion but you know the reason i was bringing it up is because i know a lot of people are working with spouses or, or family and what i found is is it's very hard sometimes we call it the no-fly zone you know you're talking about something on netflix she's telling me something about the kid and then i go oh my god like or this lending or this building or this and then it's like I, yeah. I thought we were in the safe space. You know, you just cross the line over from, you know, talking about asparagus and sweet potatoes to now you're going down <laughs> a thing. I was trying to relax. So do you have that issue of knowing, is there like, okay, after 6.30, you better not bring up any of these multi-units or is there some way to really balance that out? Because I've ruined moods many times by bringing up business, thinking that we were on the same page and we weren't at all. I misjudged that situation in a big way. So have I, my brother, so have I. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, too many times. Uh, you know, it, it's been a, a roller coaster working, you know, we, before then we worked together for 13 years and, and it's, it's hard when you're with each other 24 seven and then kind of disconnecting the work, like you said, and um, we started getting a lot better with it in the past couple of years. And just like you said, not, knowing that after a certain point, you know, after seven o'clock, whatever it's going to be, okay, we're not talking about business anymore. You know, it's, this is the, um, relationship now, you know? Um, so it, it took a while and it, it was, it was hard for me to get used to that, but, um, yeah, it worked once we started doing it. And I think, I think it's important. Cool. cool. So has it been, I, th I think you said about three years since you really made the transition into focusing exclusively on multifamily. That's correct. Okay. So in, in those three years, what do you think one of the biggest things that you've done to really scale up that way? So it's a bit of a two part question for somebody that's starting out looking to get into multifamily right now. What is uh, one tip you would give them? And for somebody that's already in, that's looking to really scale up to make it bigger, what would be a scaling up tip you would give them? Okay. So somebody that's looking to get started first, right? Um, the tip I would give them is to try and master one of the skills, or maybe they already have that skill in, in multifamily. You know, there's different aspects within multifamily investing. You've got to find the deal. You've got to find the money, the investors. You've got to be able to manage that property. Um, you know, I, I knew I had the construction experience. That was one angle I took in the beginning um, was I can bring value. So find where you can best bring the value to a deal and then partner with others that can bring value in the other aspects. Um, and that would, that's an easy way to, I'll give you an example. So let's say you've, you've raised capital before, or you know a lot of high net worth individuals I mean, you can easily bring the equity to a deal and, um, you know, per SEC, you got to make sure you're following the guidelines and a little more involved than just bringing the equity. Um, but yeah, that can instantly get you into a deal quickly. And then the two part was if you want to scale. So if you're already in multifamily and you want to scale it up, you know, I think, uh, 
the team is important. You know, how, how are you going to do that? The team and systems. So last thing you want to do is scale and not have proper systems because then it's going to fall apart or it's going to be a major headache. Um, so make sure you have systems within your company and make sure that you've got the right team or start finding those team members and then you can scale. 100% agree. That's a great answer. Who, who does your team, what, what does your team look like? Who's on your, who do you guys have on your, on your roster? Yeah. So, um, we've got Eric Bodywala who does m much of the day-to-day -day kind of like chief operations. Um, obviously you've got myself, which I play more of the CEO role, more of the visionary and kind of making sure we're, we're um, implementing the systems and following the systems and, and whatnot, and that we're heading in the right direction. Then um, Carrie, who is more of our investor relations and, and raising equity. And then you've got John, who is mainly acquisitions, but also does step in and help with uh, the raising equity as well. And then we've got a VA that we brought on a couple months ago, which has really been helping with the marketing. Like you said, the, uh, a lot of posts that we're putting on social media. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're looking to bring in a couple other key players as, as we continue to grow. That's awesome. I, I've noticed a huge step up in social media game. I know your, your YouTube stuff's going, LinkedIn. Um, you're using all those platforms. How, how has social media helped you grow your brand and attract more investors and help you get more leads? Um. Man, it's been huge. I mean, um, you know, we constantly get leads d daily at this point um, from either social media or podcast interviews like this. And uh, it's a lot, you know, we also do get leads that don't come in from those channels. And, you know, the ratio of closing one of the leads that already has seen us and, and knows the brand versus more of, I guess, a cold lead, if you want to call it, that doesn't really know who Elevate is or who the team members are. Um, it's a lot higher when they already know the brand. So, I mean, I, I, it's, it's been huge for sure. That's awesome, man. Congratulations, man. It's doing great stuff. I love watching your content. Obviously, I'm going to Thank post you. all the links for how people can follow you. Um, the other thing I want to ask about was live events. Now, that's obviously shifted a little bit in the last 30, 60, 90 days. But um, I met you at a live event and then I watched you attending some other ones that I had been to that we kind of just missed each other in. But it's crazy because every time there's an event, I'll see somebody else that I'm friends with or know or social media buddies with and they're all posting pictures with you <laughs> all over the country, like all these different events. So you're doing a lot of in-person networking. And again, I don't think you get to where you are in this business by going out and grinding out deals at some point you're making it that people know who you are. They know you closed and now deals are coming to you, which I think is outstanding and well-deserved. What are you, what are you doing or adjusting as far as those, those meetings? First off, are you getting more out of really the, the content there or is it really the relationships that you're forming there that makes, because I've been to so many events over the years and sometimes people will go, there's one in particular I'm thinking of that I think you were at that it, I wasn't really blown away with it at all. I content wise, but the breaks and the lunches and the networking after was worth every dollar I paid, even if I didn't learn anything new there. 
for the relationships that were built in the networking. And I think, especially in the multifamily space, that's huge. And you seem to be absolutely crushing it on the networking side. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare that I actually listen to the content. Um, <laughs> not that, I mean, look, if there's a panel and, and I'm excited to see who's on my panel and what they have to say. Yeah, you know, panels those, are cool. I agree. Yeah, panels those I cool. enjoy. Um, the content, it, it, you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I definitely go there for the relationships. Um, you know, constantly seeing some of the same people, constantly meeting new ones. Um, there's nothing like face to face, obviously with COVID it's, it's gotten difficult to do that. Um, you know, technology's helped a little bit with zoom and whatnot. Um, but I'm also ready to get to some live events as well. Got some lined up for next month already. Just came from one. Um, I'm trying to be as careful as possible when, when I go to these, but, uh, yeah, man, I, I made, you know, those were one of the commitments I made when I decided I was going to do multifamily. I realized that in this business, you've got to network a lot in the single family. I mean, it, it helps in the single family, but I feel like with multifamily investing it, uh, you've really got to be committed to networking. Um, and that's one of those stepping into the uncomfortable. I mean, I am not naturally somebody that likes to network and, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just, I do it. <laughs> yeah. It's just part of the business. Like even this, I, I always feel awkward putting out podcasts and then promoting them and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's part of what you need to do. You know, you gotta, like you said, get uncomfortable fortune favors the bold and it's led to some great things. I don't want to mess up the title here. I think I wrote it down somewhere, but so you're on the Forbes real estate council that I don't know. I think that happened within the last year, if I remember correctly, but that sounds huge. Talk a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, it is a, a paid program, so you got to pay to be on it. But at the same time, you do have to meet certain criteria to get on there. Um, and uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. You get to write an article where Forbes posts it. Um, you know, it's a process you got to go through. It's got to meet their criteria and whatnot. But then on top of that, you get to network with others. Um, I think right before COVID hit, I went to one of their networking events. And I mean, the individuals I met there, I mean, you're talking about guys that have sold, built a company, like 200, 300 plus employees, sold it for millions and, you know, kind of just chilling now, you know, not sure what to do. <laughs> um, but those type of folks, uh, which, you know, you can always learn from, from somebody that's, that's built a business that size and sold it. Um, and so, yeah, between the networking and then getting the, the articles posted, I think, I think it builds for great credibility. Uh, so it was exciting. That's really cool, man. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah. And again, I, I think people look at commercial properties or real estate in general as it's houses and it's not, it's, it's a business and you can't survive or have longevity in it if you're not treating like a business by doing things like studying KPIs and reading traction. And I see that's where, that's why so many businesses fail. Like as I'm learning more about this process, I don't think it's because they have a bad product. I think it's because they have bad business practices and they don't know how to study data and put the right people in place and all the things you're talking about, man, I think are awesome. And, um, you know, for my side of it, I, I hit you up for help on one of my deals and I, you answered me right away. I think you were at the property two days later. Uh, I appreciate it, man. And, and that, 
when you're looking at people that are reliable, especially in business, you want somebody that does what they say. And you definitely prove that because I, I don't have that happen often. Most of the time people are saying they're going to do and they don't. And I mean, doing what you say and being reliable is huge. So I really appreciate that you were trying to help me out on that other one and that you were so responsive. And, and that, that's huge, man. That goes a long way with me. So I thank you for that. And I thank you for this time. I don't want to take up your whole day. I know you got other stuff you want to do, but I would like to finish up with what we like to call the victory lap where we kind of bring things home here now towards the end. And I, I have three key questions I usually like to ask. The first one being, before you got into real estate, I know you're an engineer, mm -hmm. but what was the worst job you had in your life prior to real estate? Oh, damn, that's a good one, man. Um, the worst job. I don't know if that was my worst. I'm thinking, you know, I worked at, at Publix, uh, grocery chain, um, and I was a cashier. I guess that was my worst job. Um, yeah, because I mean, from there I went to the Rao Golf Resort. That was that was a pretty good job. Um, and then I went to engineering and real estate. So yeah, bagging groceries, <laughs> bagging nice. groceries and cashier. Yeah. <laughs> Second question: Knowing what you know now, if there was a younger Jorge Abreu that came up to you and asked you for advice. What advice would you give a younger you today? Start investing in multifamily right away. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. What about um, some lessons for wins and losses? I mean, um, over the years, I'm sure you've done a lot wrong and a lot right and, you know, some different lessons there, but would there be anything you would pass along as, like, what was one of the biggest lessons you've learned in this business, maybe about dealing with people, it doesn't necessarily have to be a tactical real estate thing, but just some little fortune cookie tip to somebody of, you know, make focus on this or do this or, or something not to do maybe. Yeah. I mean, so I feel like nowadays a lot of people talk about scaling and scaling their company and, and, and growing. Um, just from my experience, you know, I, the construction company, I scaled at one point, um, before I was ready. And I learned that you just need to make sure if that's what you want to do and that's your goal, make sure you've got the proper foundation built before you start scaling it. Um, that way you can sustain that scale and do it healthy versus, um, you know, not having the different sectors within your business all growing at the same time. That's, that's when you can really scale and, um, take it from there. Yeah. I think that's brilliant advice, man. And, and again, I, I've seen guys with really great businesses in place, but they're so quick to want to be huge and be, like you said, scaling up, scaling up. And we keep trying to say, you have holes in your boat. You can't yeah. go and start building on it, but they don't want to take the time to make sure like that solid foundation and eventually it's going to catch up with you and they're going to sink. So I could not agree more. I think that that's brilliant advice. Last thing, how do people find you? How can people work? What are you looking for? Are you looking for partners? Are you looking for investors? How can our listeners help you work with you, connect with you? Yeah, I'm looking for passive investors for sure. You know, we're always open to, to new investors. Uh, we've always got deals going on. Um, GPs, you know, somebody else that wants to partner on the active side. Uh, we're always open to that as well. Um, and then 
any other investors that need to get uh, projects done. You know, we're as far as a construction company, we're 100% focused on helping investors get their capex or any other projects completed. Awesome. And now, um, social handles, websites. How do they find you? Website, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. All of the above. No, just um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the company Elevate. CIG commercial investment group. Um, the website's elevatecig.com. I've got a free ebook on there that you can check out about investing in multifamily. Uh, you can find us definitely on LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. And that's, you can also search my name, Jorge Abreu, J O R G E A B R E U. If you thought it was George, yes, I still go by George as well. Jorge, George, <laughs> I go by both. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And obviously, anybody listening, if just check the show notes. I'll have all the links and everything there. Um, Jorge Abreu, man, this was awesome. You definitely bring your A game. You've absolutely been killing it, man. You've always been a great guy. You have a really good reputation among guys that are in the know of the multifamily. So I see you just keeping this going and crushing it, man. Is there uh, any final thoughts or anything before I let you go? No, give me that info on that jujitsu. I'm interested and um, excited to see you at an event sometime soon, man. 100%, man. I'm itching to get out there and see things. I'm, I'm so used to being on the road and I haven't been able to get my fix. So um, yeah. keep me posted on what you're going to, man. I'd love to catch up and definitely shoot me a, shoot me a message after and I'll pass you on to the jujitsu guy. I appreciate it. Jorge Abreu, ladies and gentlemen, Elevate Commercial Investment Group. Thank you so much for your time, man. Have a fantastic day. Thank you, Nick. You too. Take it easy, man. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word DRUMMER, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-482-0167. Again, text DRUMMER to 833-482-0167 for your free drum lesson.